0: may be seated. Uh, It's good to see you here this morning. Uh, One of the supreme tests of physical, emotional, and mental endurance is the Pacific Crest Trail. Uh, And we have Keevan Gwynn with us here today. Keevan, if you would come on up. Uh, Keevan is one of our elders, and all the other elders voted that he should go be the first one to go. (laughs) And uh, he took on the challenge. And Keevan has been uh, traveling on the Pacific Crest Trail. And uh, he's taking a little break here, and uh, I want him to just give us a little report. He's tra- He started, what, May 1st? May 12th. May 12th he started, and I uh, just got back here uh, Monday night, the 3rd. And the uh, Pacific Crest Trail, if you don't know, is what, 2,651 miles like from that. the Mexican border to the Canadian border. And uh, it's one of uh, the triple crown of hiking, and so Keevan... Uh, Tell us a little bit about uh, what you've experienced and about
1: what's next. Okay. Thank you, Garrett. Uh, So I started May 12th and came off the trail on June the 30th, and I'll tell you why here in a minute. 2017 has been an epic year for the Pacific Crest Trail. Uh, Snowfall in the Sierras, like they've not had for 25 or 30 years, so uh, huge amount of snowfall, huge amount of water coming out of the uh, down, down the streams. One of the things that i thought before I got on the trail and uh, just so you know i 've wanted to do this for twenty five or thirty years, and i 've always thought it was about the trail and about the hiking. The trail and the hiking has almost nothing to do with this experience. I have met people from all over the world literally and it's, it's about the people, it really is. Uh, most of the people doing this trail are in their 20s and 30s and then I'm the old dog, I'm 63. <laughs> so, it's, uh, so some days have been a, a real challenge for me. Uh, I do wanna thank every one of you for your prayers. Uh, you don't know how many times uh, your prayers have really helped me out. There was uh, coming down from Mount Whitney I understood the whole trail coming back down, what I needed to do. I just couldn't remember where camp was. And and so uh, through some divine intervention, I was able to find my camp that night. It was pretty cool. Uh, I have hiked 767 miles so far. And like many trails, uh, it's not flat. It's not straight. <laughs> it's up and it's down. And you know when you've made a long descent, what's ahead of you is a big climb. <laughs> and, and some of the climbs on the Pacific Crest Trail last for five to seven miles, and every step is uphill, and so it's real, real taxing. Uh, I have climbed Mount Whitney, which is the tallest peak in the lower 48, but I decided not to go any further than that because the stream crossings were extremely dangerous. And especially for a 63-year-old hiking by himself, I decided I probably ought to come off trail and let things melt out. Uh, The plan right now is to get back on at McKenzie Pass, Oregon, because I have done everything from McKenzie Pass to the Canadian border, and I'll see if I can tie in my steps. The other reason for hiking south, because the sweet part of coming home is being with Becky and getting to come to church this morning, but the bitter part is all the people that I've met. Question is, will I will I ever meet them again? And by hiking south, I may have that opportunity to reconnect with uh, some of these people. Um, I did would say a couple of weeks ago on Sunday, I was in Lone Pine and went to the Mount Whitney Baptist Church. That was uh, very much emotional for me because I hadn't been in church in a while, to be with brothers and sisters was, was way cool. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what God has in store for me when I get back on trail. And uh, I want you to know that I pray for Grace Point every day. Some days it's for the elders, some days it's for a junior church or uh, whatever, but I do try to pray for Grace Point Church every day.
0: Let me pray for you, Keevan. You. Heavenly Father, thank you for answered prayer and for keeping Keevan safe and for all that he's experienced and all those people that he's met along the trail. I know that he's made an impact in all those lives. And what I pray for Keevan for encouragement, perseverance as he continues on. And we do thank you and praise you that he is with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Keevan. Uh, Keevan served as chairman of the Elder Board before he went on this journey. And uh, so next year, it's Wes's turn. And we're going to, we'll be sending him on the PCT uh, next year. So get ready. Yeah, he wants to make sure it's all downhill. Well, yes. Uh, So we're glad. Thank you, Keevan. Keevan, in those uh, 700 and some miles, I know you count miles. Could you have an estimate of steps? Okay. So those of you who are good at mental math, that's a lot of steps, isn't it? I wear uh, one of these uh, accountability wristbands that counts your steps every day, and uh, I know that he's got a lot more steps than I do. I I usually tie this to the chihuahua and let her run around, (laughs) and uh, then it registers on my computer, and I I get a pretty good step count that way. But uh, it's interesting. I was thinking, uh, Keevan, of all those steps, and today uh, we come to Proverbs uh, 16 verse 18, we've been going through these abominations to God, uh, these things, these seven things that God hates. And uh, Solomon uses uh, our bodies as a mnemonic, as an ability to remember things. And if you remember in verse 16 of chapter 6, if you have your Bible with you, of course, this uh, short study of uh, Proverbs is A little unusual that we're not going verse by verse, uh, chapter by chapter through Proverbs, but I've chosen to use Proverbs uh, 6, 16 through 19 as a launch pad, uh, which we look at these negative values, if you will, or these things that God hates, and then at the other side of the value, the positive side of these values, uh, as listed in Proverbs and elsewhere in Scripture. So it is, in one sense, kind of a topical study or a theological study, and yet Uh, Solomon uh, says in verse 16, there are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Of course, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and in Hebrew, uh, there's idioms and uh, sentence structure, and this points to the fact that this is not an exhaustive list. Uh, There are more things that God hates, but these, at the moment that Solomon wrote them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Uh, are the things that are focused on in this context, in this uh, passage here. Uh, The passages that Russ read for us this morning is a good uh, contrast or point, counterpoint. Of course, the book of Proverbs is about how to live wisely or vertical awareness for horizontal living. Uh, As I've said every Sunday that we've been in here, Proverbs is probably the most practical, applicational book in all of the Old Testament. And it is a good book to visit on a daily basis because there are many things in here uh, that are uh, profitable for life as a Christian, life as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we come to these seven abominations. And as I said, Solomon is using our physical body. He talks in verse 17 about our eyes, about haughty eyes or prideful look. Uh, He talks about a lying tongue. He talks about hands that shed innocent blood a heart that devises wicked plans, and we come to the fifth and final body part, and that is our feet. And uh, interesting, as I've uh, followed uh, uh, Keevan's blogs, as Becky has posted them online on his website, uh, the concern for his feet. And if you have done uh, much hiking or have had foot problems, you know how important feet are. And here is this fifth body part, feet that run rapidly to evil. Feet that run rapidly to evil. Elsewhere in Proverbs, Solomon uses uh, the body and parts of the body to illustrate things, and I'm convinced it was to help the Hebrews of his day, the Jews of his day, memorize scripture. It helped them to memorize it because they could correlate it with parts of their own physical frame. Chapter 4, verses 20 through 27 is an example. Chapter 6, 12 through 14, just above this passage, is another example. And of course, here, in 17 and 18. So it was a mnemonic aid to help people memorize scripture. Remember, the purpose of the book of Proverbs was to impart moral discernment and discretion, and secondly, to develop mental clarity and perception. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 2, he talks about skill and discipline, or wisdom and instruction. And uh, wisdom is that ability to apply to life the skill, and that's why we call Proverbs, a book about skillful living, how to live skillfully, and skill and discipline. And no skill is perfected without discipline. No skill is perfected without discipline. I've watched Keevan over the years prepare for this journey, uh, and I've watched him uh, prepare his body, and he has been disciplined in that. He's the only guy I know who mows his long with a backpack of rocks and, uh, you know, and works at his physical discipline. And uh, the skill that he will enjoy is the result of the discipline, the hours he puts in before that. And he is in the process of doing that now. I was thinking of skillful living, skillful living. And uh, you may have never heard of James Deacon White. James Deacon White. Deacon was his nickname, and I'll tell you why in a moment. But he was a baseball player, and he played at the dawn of the professional baseball era. In fact, on May 4th, 1871, James White had the very first hit in the very first game of the first professional baseball league. He hit a double, he was the first catcher to use a mask, and he was the first pitcher to go into a wind-up before throwing the ball. And over his 20-year career, White played for teams in Cincinnati, Buffalo, Detroit, Boston, Pittsburgh, before joining the team that ultimately became the Chicago Cubs. White would eventually become the oldest player in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, It's not an exaggeration to say that White helped create the game of baseball that we know today. In fact, the inscription on, uh, on James White's plaque in the Hall of Fame, if you were to go there, doesn't begin with the words, 19th century star of baseball or premier catcher of his era or led teams to six uh, championships, although all three of those phrases are in the description. The first words on the plaque are consummate gentleman, consummate gentleman. He, remember, played at a time when professional athletes were seen as unsavory, hard-drinking womanizers, James White earned the nickname Deacon uh, for his commitment to his Christian faith and virtue, which were evident to everyone who saw him play. For example, in 1878, the Indianapolis Journal reported that an umpire actually consulted with White on a call, and White was a player on the opposite team in the field, about whether the base runner was out. When the opponent complained, the ump declared, and I quote the ump, When White says a thing is so, it is so, and that's the end of it. That's the kind of reputation James White had. In 1886, the Detroit Free Press wrote this about James White. No one has ever yet heard Deacon White say a curse word. No one ever saw him spike or trample upon an opponent. No one ever saw him hurl his bat towards the bench when he struck out. No one ever heard him wish an umpire where the wicked never cease from troubling, and the weary never give us a rest. <laughs> and think of it, he goes on to say, 19 years of provocation. Will anybody deny that Deacon White is a great and good man, as well as a first-class ball player? Somehow, Deacon White, in the little bit I've read about him, watched his walk, watched his step. And so we come to this passage today, And we look at the negative quality that God, the negative value, what does God hate? What does he love? We tend to focus on God's love, which we should, but also in that diamond of theology, there's an aspect of things that are abominable to God, things that God hates, and they're listed, some of them are listed here for us. Remember that God-centeredness is the focus of the book of Proverbs. Remember chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the thesis is very clear for us. Those who fear God and live by his principles can be assured of his approval and blessing. I was thinking of Proverbs five twenty-one, 21, where this, the proverb writer tells us, for the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. The ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. And so we come to this uh, example of feet that run rapidly to evil are an abomination to God. You know, feet uh, are really uh, a a description. This is metaphorical language, if you will. Technically, this is called the trope a trope where a smaller part is representative of the larger whole. And we all know that when we talk, we're talking here about feet, uh, even in uh, being called a literal interpretation, we take those figures of speech into consideration when we interpret God's word. And we recognize this is not just a, simply a pair of feet running to evil quickly. This is talking about a whole person. And this is the psalmist's point. He's illustrating it in a way with a metaphor, which catches our attention and is very artful. In fact, you often don't think of Proverbs as poetry, but Proverbs is a sense in Hebrew poetry. It is Hebrew poetry, like the Psalms are. And so there's a poetic element here. Uh, Dr. Bruce Waltke has written, This very verse catches the note of urgency involved in the crime. No step is spared, no second second wasted, no base left uncovered for the execution of the plot, feet that run rapidly to evil. And this is a warning here for all of us to know that all of these things, these things that are listed, these seven things, are a tendency in our sinful flesh, in our human condition, and without Jesus Christ, we are without hope, and we are without wisdom, and he's calling us to wisdom. Proverbs 21.2 says, every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. The Lord weighs the hearts. Proverbs 6.28, or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? There's this issue of the fact that God knows our way. And so God hates feet that run rapidly to evil. He urges caution and thoughtfulness as we go through our life. Of course, throughout Scripture, we see the metaphor of walking or running. Paul, the Apostle Paul, uses athleticism and the athletic games of running and even walking as a metaphor for life itself. And all of us are on a journey. I find Keevan's journey as a metaphor for the Christian life. There's a lot of, he said, a lot of smooth going, a lot of downs, but then there's a lot of ups too, a lot of struggle, a lot of difficulty, obstacles and Adversities on our journey, and uh, you know that's a picture of that on the Pacific Crest Trail there. But Proverbs uh, uses the words. I, uh, if you have Bible software on your computer or simply a Strong's uh, concordance, you can start looking up just the occurrences of some English words that are translated for us in the Book of Proverbs, like feet, foot, walk, path, and you're going to get a numerous hits. There are many. I have many pages of printouts. Of verse hits of just some of those words, which are pictures of walking through life itself. Uh, some of the results about feet, feet Proverbs one fifteen: my son, do not walk in the way with them, meaning unwise people. Keep your feet from their path. This idea of watching our walk. <clears throat> Proverbs one sixteen: for their feet run to evil and they hasten to shed blood. Proverbs 4.26, watch the path of your feet. And all your ways will be established. In other words, skillful living, careful living, wise living. Uh, let me give you a few more. Uh, Proverbs twenty-five nineteen, or twenty. Excuse me. Proverbs nineteen two. Also, it is not good for a person to be without knowledge, for he who hurries is errors. And so, this idea of a thoughtful, skillful life, a wise life. When we look at the word path or pathway in Proverbs, we see Proverbs 2.13. From those who leave the paths of unrighteousness to walk in the ways of darkness. We see throughout the book of Proverbs, there is a conscious decision. There is an act of the will to follow God or not to follow him. There is an act of the will to live wisely or to live foolishly. And that's where the book of Proverbs helps us make those decisions and tells us from day to day. Proverbs 2.15, their paths are crooked and, all, and who are devious in all of their ways. Proverbs 2.19, uh, none go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. In other words, they're not living wisely. So there's lots of warnings about why God hates feet that run rapidly to evil, about unwise living. <clears throat> I was reading about a rescue mention A mission in World War II—one I had not heard of before—and it really relates to the fact that we are on a journey, and we're on a journey together, and we are really, uh, in in a sense, in the enemy's land. We are all uh, part of a culture and a society that is anti-God, and uh, this illustrates this to some point. Uh, It has been called the greatest rescue mission of World War II. Late in the war, American uh, airmen and bombers were sent on missions over southern Europe to cripple the Nazis' oil supplies. Hundreds of crews were flying uh, in these bombers and through the storm of anti-aircraft shells, and many pilots were forced to bail out, and their crews bail out from their airplanes. Uh, The injured airmen drifted by parachute into occupied Yugoslavia, expecting to be captured or killed. Instead, on the ground, there was a remarkable rescue teams were already in place. Serbian peasants tracked the path of these floating flight uh, airmen, and their sole mission was to grab them and bring them to safety before the Nazi troops arrived. Risking their own life, the peasants fed and sheltered the downed soldiers, and those rescued uh, were in the friendly hands, but they were still on enemy soil, and they still needed to escape. And uh, this story became known as Operation Halyard and uh, this daring mission and a secret landing strip and a clandestine evacuation plan. Those Serbian peasants rescued every single American airman that they could rescue, 500 in all. And uh, to travel to the evacuation site, the airmen had to spend weeks following the Serbian freedom fighters who alone knew the way to the evacuation site. And despite these profound language barriers and difficulties, the direction, the pace, and the destination all the, were all in the hands of the Serbian peasants. The men had been saved from their enemy. They still had to walk to freedom. Uh, this sheds a light on an important spiritual reality that you and I face as Christians. To be rescued from something sets us on a path towards something. You know, he rescued us from the penalty of sin. That's what justification is. Jesus Christ declared us righteous because of what he has done, and we were rescued from the penalty of sin. But yet we are on a destination, and that's why the Christian life, on one hand, is an adventure, and it can be difficult at times, just like Keevan's trip on the PCT, And yet there are difficulties, adversities, but there are blessings along the way. For these airmen in World War II, it was a journey of survival. And for us, it's a journey of faith. Uh, We may not recognize it day to day, but yet it is a journey of faith. The one who has saved us has called us to walk and to trust him. He is leading the way, the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone knows the destination and the arrival and the time we will arrive and that we are in this process, and he is with us this adventure, and Christ calls us to follow him. The Apostle Paul describes this active view of the Christian life in his letter to the Ephesians, urging them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And that is a picture of the Christian life. So what about the positive forms? If God hates those feet that run rapidly to evil, what is the positive side? In the book of Proverbs, we have many, many, many (laughs) encouragements, exhortations, blessings about this idea of walking, you know, this idea of living the Christian life. Proverbs 115, my son, do not walk in the way with them; Keep your feet from their path or the evil path. Uh, Watch your path in Proverbs 4.26. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Chapter three verse six, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Proverbs three seventeen, her ways are pleasant ways, and her paths are peace. And that's the uh, the humanization of wisdom referred to in the female feminine form. Proverbs four eleven, I have directed you in the way of wisdom, I have led you in upright paths. Proverbs four eighteen, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter. And brighter until the full day. That'd be a good one to memorize if you're up early and see the sunrise. What a great verse. Proverbs 4.26, watch the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Proverbs 8.20, I walk in the way of the righteous in the midst of the paths of justice. Proverbs 9.15, calling to those who pass by who are making their paths straight. So this whole idea and walking. Proverbs two two uh, seven. he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. I was thinking of Deacon White. I'd like to know more about his life and how his life finished, but yet he seemed to be a man who walked in integrity even in the midst of an evil generation. Uh, Proverbs 2.20, and you will walk in the way of good men and keep the paths of the righteous and so on. There are many, many, many occurrences of the word walk and foot and feet and way and path uh, that I'll leave up to you to research. The word pictures of Solomon make it clear that uh, the imaginations of our hearts determines whether we will be creatively good or creatively evil. Again, that's that act of the will, that decision of the mind, that this is how I'm going to live out my life. And for those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, our course is set. Our banner should fly high, the banner of joy and the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. Uh, God's people should have uh, cleansed feet, according to John 13, beautiful feet, Romans 10, prepared feet, Ephesians 6, obedient feet, Genesis 13, and we will bring a blessing to God as we follow those things. I was reading uh, about tightrope walkers. I remember as a child going to the Barnum & Bailey Circus in Denver down at the Coliseum, and uh, I just read that the circus is done, at least on the big scale, like it is. Uh, but uh, I was always fascinated by the tightrope walkers, with uh, going across that thin wire uh, just on their feet with maybe a balance bar, or maybe carrying somebody else. Uh, but there's a special word for them, and I just learned that this week. Uh, those who do these amazing feats on the high wire are called funambulists. Funambulist, F-U-N-A-M-B-U-L-I-S-T-S. I don't know why, but it uh, starts with fun, so maybe that has something to do with it. Uh, but in his book, uh, Dan Thurman, his book is entitled Off Balance on Purpose, He's a business leader, and he's kind of an amateur funambulist. (laughs) He has written that these daredevils are constantly making small critical adjustments, lifting their free leg as a counterweight, raising and lowering their arms, adjusting the pole. A good funambulist is never truly at rest or on balance, he writes. As a matter of fact, they are perpetually off balance making adjustments that bring them through a point of balance only to readjust on the other side. Most of their movements are so subtle that they are imperceptible to the audience. They make it look effortless. But Thurman says it's not nearly as easy as it looks. So how do they maintain their balance? He continues, and I quote him, When new students step onto the rope or cable, they almost always begin with the same flawed game plan. They stare downward at the wire to ensure that they have the proper footing, and so they fall. So what is the solution to this dilemma? If you have ever closely watched professional tightrope walkers, you may recall that they never look down at their feet or wire or either side at their hands or at the balance pole. Rather, they keep their head up, they look forward toward the goal, the faraway platform in front of them. And for you and I as believers in the Jesus Christ, we need to re- keep the long view, to remember that even though our steps may falter, we lose our balance, uh, we get out of whack on some days. If we keep our eyes up, keep our face towards the goal, the Lord Jesus Christ, He is carrying us there. And we need to follow Him, and we will walk in the wisdom of what Solomon describes here in Proverbs. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning.